Well, it's good to see you all. Um, I'm going to carry on from last week, the things we spoke about at the end. We're going to pray for Tyler. He's off to Sri Lanka on, on Wednesday, and he can give us, are you, can you share a little bit of what's happening when you get to come up here? So just prepare that as your preaching moment, the one that you've longed for. So we began the year um, with Aaron Wazalewski doing the second part of his talk on Sabbath. And it was actually a wonderful way to begin the year. We begin the year with Sabbath. Let's understand Sabbath. It's like the Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down. That's how we start. It's a beautiful thing rather than the action. It's actually starting with us learning to rest in God. Um, it's where we always start. And then we began this little series on the church, which kind of my, my goal is that we would be reminded of why we're doing what we're doing. That we're not doing haphazard things, that we are very focused in what we are doing. Um, and out of that, what, is, what does it really mean to look like and live like a disciple to Jesus and belong to a Jesus family? Um, I want to bring that back to the, the front of our minds. And, you know, when you're driving along in your car and you got your maps on and you take a wrong turn, it says rerouting. And sometimes in the beginning of the year, we come in together to reroute, to recalibrate, so we get back on focus of what we're about. As we engage our world and we get involved in our jobs and family and all those things, it's so easy just for other things to come upon us and we kind of lose track a little bit. So I want to bring, that's the whole idea was to bring us back onto track. So I'm going to recap the first two weeks really briefly. Many of you weren't here and then launch in. So week one, I read from, the Great Omission by Dallas Willard, um, The Cost of Non-Discipleship. Uh, Bonhoeffer always speaks about the cost of discipleship. Dallas Willard wrote about the cost of non-discipleship, what that would look like if we didn't do that. And I read that. You can listen to the talk. And then I, I spoke four points just really briefly. The one was this, about who we are. We are a faithful family moving forward into whatever God has for us, we are not a business. Is that fair enough? We, are not, we don't have CEOs and vice presidents. We are not that. We are a family under the fatherhood of God, together as brothers and sisters, going forward into everything that God has for us. We don't operate like a business. We are not a business. We are the church, a family. Secondly, we participate as the body. We don't come to be entertained or to come to a show. Now, even though we're small, sometimes it's a one-way thing. And we want to grow in what does it mean for us to come together each week ready to participate. That's what we're going to be working on this year, a lot. Uh, says to us, when each one comes together, each one has something to give. You might not give it, but you're ready to participate. We want to get to that place, all right? It's not a show. There's no lights. There's no smoke. There's, there's just us participating in something that God wants us to do as the body of Christ, and each member is important. Some are more visible. A mouth is more visible than a toad, but toes are really helpful. All right. Thirdly, that we're involved in systematic practices and rhythms of grace, and we're not primarily about programs. Okay? I said primarily. It doesn't mean we can't have programs, but that's not primarily what, why we do what we're doing, and I'm going to unpack that a little bit today. And then fourthly, we're in for this for the long haul, 
or growth and maturity. This is not flash in the pan. Every Sunday, we want to be measured at the end of the Sunday. That was a great meeting. We can podcast it. We can put it on Twitter and Instagram. What a great meeting. No, we are on a long journey because we know that raising kids is not every day is a great day. But we'll look back and see, oh, it was a very significant day. And so we're on that journey of becoming the people that God wants us to be. And then we ended with CS, uh, two quotes from C.S. Lewis, one which was, who are you listening to in your life? Who are you listening to? Who's, who's shaping you? Is it the radio? Is it the TV? Is it podcasts? Who's shaping you? Who are you listening to? Who are you getting your direction from? And, and secondly, who's in control? Who's in control of your life? Who has control over your resources and your time and all those things? And so that's where, that was first week. It was a little lighter than that, I think. Second week, which was last week, which I don't even remember what I quite spoke about. I was so brain dead, but <clears throat> it was the fourth meeting I'd spoken at that day. So we looked at the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18 to 20. All authority has been given to me. Therefore, you go to all the world, make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teach them to obey everything I've commanded you, and lo, I'll be with you till the very end of the earth. earth. And we opened that up a little bit as one of God, Jesus' final commissioning to his disciples as he was about to leave is go make disciples. The operative verb in that is make disciples. And we unpack that. I want to do that again. And then if you jump into Acts, just before he ascended, he said, I want you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, outermost parts of the earth. Don't go until the Holy Spirit comes upon you, but then you're going to go. And so the prime to these two primary functions of, of God's people are to be disciples who make disciples and to be witnesses to the resurrection life of Jesus. When we get out of that, we get into something that's not the church. And I'll touch a little bit on that today. Um, and then we had two thoughts to ponder. The one was this, are we more enamored by community than we are about Jesus who is the center of the community? Something to think about. Sometimes we love community, but we forget that Jesus is the center of community. This is not a club community. This is a Jesus community. And secondly, just for us to do a self-check, are we just in the activity of church going? Because you're in the activity of church going, if you don't feel like going, it doesn't really matter. But if you see yourself as part of the body of Christ, functioning as the body of Christ together, moving us forward into everything that God has for us, then we, we don't make those decisions lightly. Fair enough? Today. Acts chapter 2. I'm going to read from verse... Uh, wait, what are we on? From verse 41. I think it is. Is that what I said to you? Okay. As we get to this text, the setting to this is, is, is Acts chapter 2. Jesus has said to them, Jesus appeared to them. He's taught them about the kingdom. Then he says, you're going to be my witnesses, but don't go anywhere until you're empowered by the Holy Spirit. Then he ascends back to his father. They go wait, 120 of them, in an upper room. Remember, they're not sure what's happening. They're afraid. It's, they're waiting. It says they were devoted to prayer. They were praying up there. Ten days they were up there praying. It must, must have been a little stinky. And then one day, the Holy Spirit appears like tongues of fire, comes upon them. They get filled with power. They're speaking in other languages. It's the time in Jerusalem where there people from every nation, Jews from every nation in the known world are in Jerusalem for the feast. They hear the ruckus. They come and gather. What's going on here? These people are drunk. 
And Peter, in a new boldness, in a new way, not the old uh, boldness where he'd walk on water with not knowing what he's doing here, with the Holy Spirit, stands up with the apostles and begins to preach. The first gospel preach after Jesus goes back. And what does he preach? We won't read it, but he preaches the gospel of the cross and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 1.18, Paul says, we speak the word of the cross. He preached a gospel message. And um, what's the result? This is what it says. So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. 120, 3,120, just like that. Because people obeyed Jesus and did what they were supposed to do. They didn't try to do fancy footwork, fancy programs. They got up and announced the truth, the gospel, that the kingdom of God was available in Jesus through trusting in his death and resurrection. All right? They were obedient to the first part of the Great Commission. They were made disciples. Actually, of all nations, the nations came to them. As we'll see later, they go somewhere else. Let's read this now. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they, who's they? The 3,000 souls plus the 120, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This text is most probably the most shaping text, I think, for Linda and I and for where we come from on how, what church looks like. It's a picture of the early church. Now, I know we've become more sophisticated. Things have changed. But at the essence of, there, of what's there is still applicable to church life today under Jesus, under King Jesus, under the kingdom of God. And so what did these new disciples do? There were four major things. Number one, and remember, they were devoted to these things. That word devoted is the Greek word proskaterio, which actually means a steadfast and single-minded fidelity to a certain course of action. That's what that word means when you're devoted. It wasn't, oh, I'm so devoted. Not that word. It was a decision, a steadfast and single-minded fidelity, commitment, truth to a certain course of action. They were committed to that. Um, it's the same word that's used in Acts 1.14 when they were praying together, all together, and one, that same word is being used in, in the upper room. Okay, so they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. What were the apostles' teaching? Let's go back to the Great Commission. Go into... Make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, teach them. What's the Great Commission? To obey everything I've commanded you. So what were they teaching 
these new disciples, what were these new disciples devoted to? The teaching of the apostles, they were obeying Jesus. How could they be obedient to everything that Jesus had spoken? Because they were fulfilling the Great Commission. That's the first thing they did. They taught the disciples, teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. Now, so we're going to come to this in a few weeks. I'm going to come back to this. What did Jesus actually teach that we are called to obey? Um, one of the shocking things I remember reading from Dallas Willard in, in this book, The Great Omission, and he'd been in ministry 40-something years. He said, in all my years, I'd never met a church, a grouping of churches, a movement or a denomination that at its core were teaching people how to obey Jesus. Isn't that scary? If that's the final great commission that Jesus spoke. We haven't been taught how to obey Jesus. Remember, they didn't have the New Testament right then. This is 50 days, 60 days after Jesus is gone. They were teaching what he had taught them. And they were devoted to this. They were learning. What does this mean, this new life, this kingdom? They were devoted to it. Where do we get that teaching today? Sorry? Sermon on the Mount? Where do we get the Sermon on the Mount? In this thing called the Bible. It's the only place we have it. This is the, this is the body of work that has stood the test of time, 2,000 years, that tells us what Jesus taught and how people responded and what we were to do. That make sense? How many of you believe in Julius Caesar? Have heard about Julius Caesar? Do you think he was a historical figure? How do you know that? Sorry? Internet. The internet. The internet. Do you know that there's more, there's more historical writing, historical writing to Jesus than there is to Julius Caesar? But no one ever doubts Julius Caesar. And even the writings that were done about Julius Caesar were done many, many years after his living. The earliest re record that we have in the, in the scriptures to Jesus is about 30 years after he left us. It's pretty close. They were, when they wrote these things, people were alive, they were still alive, they were there when Jesus was around. So that's another story of apologetics that's worth going to look at. But we, we get what Jesus had to say from the scriptures. We learn to obey them. Um, we're going to come back to that as a whole section, if that's all right. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Secondly, they were devoted to the fellowship. And that the word fellowship there is koinonia. I can never say it. Koinonia. And it wasn't just a commitment to fellowship. I'm going to fellowship with whoever I come into contact with. No, this was Commitment to a very, very specific fellowship, a group of people together as the new community of Jesus. They were committed to that. Um, it's not random. It's very, very specific. So when they were committed to the fellowship, they were committed to this grouping of people that was beginning to form, this new group that still technically were Jews, but almost like a sect of Judaism that declared that this Jesus was the promised Messiah and actually the, the answer to all the world. So within Judaism was this group because they met in the temple courts sometimes. They met home to home. They were meeting. But there was this distinct group 
that was being formed, and they were committed to that. Um, and in that, there was fellowship, as we, as we unpack a little bit later. And we see in the rest of the New Testament, the letters, when Paul is writing, and Peter's writing, and James is writing, and the, the writer to the Hebrews, and John, they flesh all of What does it mean to be the people of God together? And remember that we did a talk, I think, at the beginning of last year on the one another's. All the one another's. Care for one another. Stir one another up. Love one another, etc. They're masses of them. That's what it meant to be in fellowship and a fellowship together. It wasn't always potlucks and whiskey. There was this commitment to sh- encouraging and getting one another on the journey of Jesus and sticking with the plot. Um, Hebrews 10, which you, many of you know is one of my favorite texts in the Bible. This is the writer to the Hebrews. When the, the, the people are scattered, people are under persecution, things are getting hard. This is what he says. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, He's just been going from chapter 5 to the beginning of chapter 10, just talking about how Jesus is the greater sacrifice, the greater priest, the greater everything. By the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our faith, of our hope, without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us, us, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting meeting together, as is the habit of some. This verse is very much for today. But encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is, this is later in the story. Things are... People are struggling. And he said, no, don't forget. Come together in fellowship to stir one another up, encourage one another, build one another up so that we stick with the plot. Because <clears throat> if you try to do this by yourself, you will be shot down. All right. So, take a little side thing here. Does anyone know what next Sunday is? Super Bowl Sunday. And... The great Rams are playing against some piddly team called the Patriots. It's a good game. I'm sure many of you want to watch it. I want to watch it. The Rams, the Rams, the Rams beat the Saints, and there was bad call, so Joe's very upset. So every year, Super Bowl stresses me. Because our meetings in the afternoon and Super Bowls in the afternoon, if we have a meeting, half of the people are not here, then we don't know what to do. Eh, but the Rams and so I've been spending a lot of time with the Anthem group of churches over the last while, as you know. And they have a wonderful thing they do that I've been thinking through, which they call Anthem Anywhere. So once or twice a year, they just say that we're not having churches as normal. We're going to just gather in groups and do all sorts of things. It's fellowship of this practicing part of what it means to live in fellowship with one another. So I thought, well, maybe this is a good opportunity of us for us to do that. Try Mercy Town anywhere, whatever we want to call it, I don't really care. Without 
but so by being very focused, but without the stress of Super Bowl, which everyone wants to watch. If we had a morning meeting, kind of no problem. All right, so what are we going to do next Sunday? Is we're going to do Mercy Town anyway, if that's a good word. All right. Um, we're going to have three couples hosting. All right. Fouches, Conrads, Busbys. And you're going to get an email tonight or tomorrow inviting you to one of those. I've sort of tried to allocate them. Not because I don't want anyone to go anywhere, but just so that I know that everyone's cared for and whatever. I've tried to think through it. And if you are totally unhappy where you've been invited, call me. I know you don't want to go to Busby, but I've had to give some people to Busby, all right? And what we're going to do on that day is I'm leaving it up to the, the hosts to decide what they're going to do. They, you can be at home and have a, a potluck. You can go to the park. You can go to Disneyland. You can go to the beach. You can go for a walk. You can do anything you like. But we're doing it together in those little groups. Mercy Town anywhere. I'm going to ask you to commit to it. So it's most probably won't be at the time of the Super Bowl unless a specific group chooses to do theirs at Super Bowl and make it a Super Bowl party. That's great. But I'm going to ask you to commit to that. All right? Do not think, oh, it's not church. I better go to another church. No, it is the church. Because we don't go to church. We are the church. And we're going to be doing fellowship, enjoying one another, eating together, as we'll see later, able to bless one another. Joe, we'll make sure you don't go to one where the Super Bowl's been played. Um, Does that make sense? We want to practice this. So it just happens to be that we're here, and next week's an opportunity. You've been thinking about it, so it's going to happen quicker than we thought, but we're going to do that. Will you commit to it, please, and say, I'll be involved. The hosts will tell you, we're doing food, we're not doing food, we're going, whatever. Each one's different. There's no strat- like that sort of strategy, like, woo, everyone's got to do the same thing. We're going to practice fellowship as the fellowship. We're going to commit it to that. Is that all right? And then if you want to watch Super Bowl in the afternoon, you can do watch Super Bowl. You can make your own party to watch Super Bowl. You can go to a pub. You can do sleep, whatever. We won't be here on Sunday afternoon next week. Everyone got it? They're pretty clear. Right, so we're practicing fellowship. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to the fellowship. They were devoted to the breaking of bread. Again, we're not going to. We're going to come back to that after the Super Bowl party. We're going to do a two-week little mini series as part of this on the breaking of bread. Brian will launch off first. I'll follow. Two week on bread because it's so important. They were devoted to it. We do it on Sunday. Sometimes we just. I want to remind us what is this all about? Why do we do it? It's strategic to God's people and essential to God's people. So come back in two weeks and we'll pick that one up. Fourthly, they were devoted to prayer, or one of the translations, the prayer. There was a sense that they were still involved in some of the Jewish prayer, and they were doing their own prayer. But they were devoted to prayer, formal and informal. And I don't care where you look, but you go through our church history and look at every group of people everywhere. At the core, there is prayer. When we don't pray, we have lost connection with the head of the body. Prayer is essential. And I'm going to touch 
again, a little bit quickly on that in a moment. But they are four areas that they were devoted to, where they gave attention to. Do you think it's possible that we as the church today should be giving attention to the same things? The truth is we give attention to lots of other things except these four core things. We teach, but we teach nice sermons. We teach people feel good about ourselves. You know, we teach things like God will meet all your needs according to his riches and glory. Have you read that verse? And it's, we, people preach that on TV. The context is they gave generously out of their poverty to the planting of churches around the world. That's the context, but we forget that bit. But let's teach the way Jesus wants us to teach, and that's how do we become followers of Jesus wholeheartedly? How do we learn to obey Jesus? Not obey the leaders, obey the system. How do we learn to obey Jesus, which means you need to pray so that you can hear Jesus, etc., 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 whatever, whatever. It's a big, keeps unfolding. What was the result of people who did this? I'll read them. It's in the text we just read. There was a sense of holy awe and respect that gripped the city. You read the commentators, they were saying this wasn't just what was happening in the group. The city, there was something, there was something new happening in the city, and people were like, whoa. Later, great persecution comes. But in the early days there, what is this? There's something unbelievable happening here. There were signs and wonders by the apostles. No, they were just obeying Jesus. Jesus said, you will, the things I do, you will do, and even greater. So they were just obeying Jesus. Which means we, the church, obeying Jesus. Should see signs and wonders. Some people have. Some have seen blind eyes open. Um, all sorts of things. But we're never going to see it if we don't believe it's true and then exercise by praying for people wherever we go. All right. There was a communal togetherness and sharing. They, those within the fellowship cared for one another. It does not say there were no needy outside of the church. It says there were no needy inside the church. Why? Because the church was becoming a model of what kingdom life looked like so that it could be a witness to a broken world. This is what community looks like. There was no needy. They shared among one another. You know, they were caring for one another. Jesus said in John, this is how people will know that you are my disciples. By the love you have for one another. Now, please don't think I'm speaking some insular gospel now. We're all going to become inward. That's not what we're saying here, please. But this is foundational. The problem with this text, because they were selling things and bringing in and laying at the apostles' feet, blessing, helping people. The problem is we don't live in that culture anymore. We live in a very individualistic, this is mine culture. So it's very hard to say we're going to be sharing with one another, making sure none of us have need. But I believe the truth that's in there is still applicable. That when we see need within the church, we, how do we rise to meet that need so someone is not needy? At the same time, we're going to have to have incredible discernment and wisdom. Because if we start living like that, there are going to be those who come in and say, well, we're just here to see what we can get. So we're going to have to be really careful. 
That's why to become a disciple of Jesus in those days was not like, I made a decision, I'll follow Jesus, I'm going to church. That's not what it was at all. This was a serious thing. When you were baptized and raised in Christ, you were saying, I'm dying to myself. I'm cutting off all those. That was a serious thing. So people who entered the, the fellowship of the believers was, it, it, wow. Right. But within that, we cared for one another. One of the great things, if I tell stories about our church, one of the great stories is when Thomas's dad fell down the stairs in Denmark. You remember that? How many, I don't know how many were in the church in that time. And he broke his arm, shattered his skulls, all sorts of things. And we put out a thing, we need money to get Thomas there. And within 20 minutes, we'd raised six and a half grand from our little community. That's the church, caring for one another. That's where we need to go to. The church needs to be this distinct group of people that are a witness to the world. Is that right? I asked a question earlier, who's in control? Who's in control of your time and your resources and all those things? If we are kingdom people, everything is under Jesus. That does not mean Jesus doesn't want you to be wealthy or have a retirement or own a home. Or, it doesn't mean any of that. It just means, Lord, all of it is yours. And if you tell me, not if I get up here and manipulate you and do a 20-minute offering, and so you feel so bad and you just want me to shut up, you put a big check in the offering. We don't, we don't want that. We want it because we hear Jesus, and the responsibility of who we are in Christ is we will care for one another. We will do these things. Is that right? Because it comes from the essence of truth and us hearing God and submitting everything that we are to God. I cannot come here and say, Dan and Becca, you need to go sell your house and give the money to the poor. I can't do that. God can. I can't. That make sense? I'm just... A, I'm just I'm so weary of watching preachers who, who spend so much time talking about those things. I don't want to do that. I just want to teach obedience to Jesus, which means I'd rather teach you how to hear the voice of Jesus so that you can respond to him. Whew. There was public and smaller regular gatherings. They met every day. They were just meeting. There was a joy in what they were doing, learning, growing, praying, breaking bread, just this amazing thing that was happening. There was a declaration of the goodness and the wonder of God. They were praising God, and there was favor. I mean, it's just such a wonderful picture. Please, Lord, can we have that? Why were they getting favor from even the outside people? Have you ever thought about that? Why were they getting favor? We don't get favor today. People hate the church. We're kind of the scum of the earth these days. Why did they get favor? I think two things, and there might be more. One. They were caring for people out there, and they were praying for people, people being healed, all those things. But secondly, I think they were just loving and kind because that's the way Jesus was. They went the extra mile, took the extra slap. Oh, this is a different group, man. There's something wonderful here. You know what? They didn't have to force it. The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The Lord did it. When we do what Jesus wants us to do, then the Lord does what he's supposed to do, and that's add to our churches and add people getting saved. And we do, don't see people moving from church to church to church. We get God doing something amazing. 
It's okay. Anyone feeling stressed beyond measure right now? I hope not. I mean, nearly finished. See, when we are in step with Jesus' commands and ways for us, then we become a new kind of person. That's what the essence about who we become is really important. We can come to church and we can sing songs. Jesus said, I think it's in John 4, he said, I can get stones to worship me. I'm looking for the Father seeking worshipers. We, we're becoming a new kind of person. So we've received the new birth from above. So we've made new, new creations. Then we're learning to grow into that. In every aspect, we become these people that look like Jesus and talk like Jesus and do what Jesus did. And there was no fancy suits and fancy sh shoes. They had to kiss Jesus for him to be recognized. He wasn't one wearing the $1,200 crocodile shoes. He was the one with the stinky feet and the same sandals as everyone else. So we become the kind of people that just naturally do the things he wants us to do. That's our goal. Um, and we'll look at that in a little more detail as well. As you read through the rest of Acts, what you'll begin to see is how the disciples fulfilled the rest of the Great Commission and going out to all the places, the Gentiles, Samaritans, outermost parts of the earth. You see it unfolding. So it's okay. It's okay to do all kinds of things in church as long as we are first doing what Jesus asked of us. Is that fair enough? Jesus never once asked us to start a kid's ministry. It's okay to have kid's ministry. It's really helpful. But it's not essential to the Christian life. And so, programs, which are in themselves can be wonderful, but programs can mask an underlying weakness or fault that's in the church. What I mean by that, there are a few areas. I'm, I'm going to pick on four, just touch on them, I will come back to them. There are four areas that are so we do in church that I think sometimes we don't think through the full ramifications of it. So, for example... We have a prayer ministry. We have the intercessors who pray. We don't have that, but many churches do. And then we say our church prays because we have an intercessory group. The question is, is everybody praying? That's the question. Not do we have an intercessory group. Because our church prays. You might not be praying, but you, you're part of the church that prays. But you're not praying. That, does, that doesn't help. That's not helpful. That's a program. That's fine if it's upon everybody praying. And then some say, man, we've got some extra time. Let's go pray through this seriously. But we all need to pray. Or missions, which is a big one. We're so proud of our church because we have mission groups and we send people to the mission field. You know? Shelley to Philippines. Joe, Haiti. Tyler, Sri Lanka. Oh, it's so wonderful. The bottom thing is that we're all on mission. And we need to go tomorrow and see yourself as a missionary to the world where you find yourself. Because in LA, there are 222 different ethnic groups represented. You can go to the nations in your own city. Cancel your trip. Do you know what I'm saying? 
We're called to be missionaries to our world. That's for every single person. Actually, that word missionary doesn't exist. The word is apostolic. The word is engage, witness. We go into our world, every single one of us with that attitude. And from time to time, God sends one to that place. And from time to time, we, have an, we build a program to help that. But please don't say our church is a mission church when you're not doing anything about it. That's a program that's been added without the underlying of everybody. doesn't mean everyone will go somewhere out there. It just means everybody will wake up tomorrow morning and engage their world by being kind and loving, and, and every now and then you get an opportunity to actually speak about Jesus. <laughs> Kids ministry is another one. I mean, I've been in places where people, are, the, the kids' ministry is responsible to raise their kids in the ways of the Lord. That's a parental responsibility. Kids' ministry is great. We can get together and they can hang out and talk about similar things, same ages. That's all wonderful. But we have a responsibility as parents to raise our kids in the ways of the Lord. And as fellowship, as community, we, we, we share in that need with one another. I'm sure I'm having a little bit of influence into Ruby and Axel, as they come across every day and talk, and we talk about things. Maybe there's something, it's community, but they're still responsible. Does that make sense? And when we come together for kids' ministry, and please, I'm not knocking kids' ministry, it's wonderful. They're doing things together, and they're playing. It's wonderful, but it can never take away. Fourth one, quickly, is the poor. This is the hot-button one. We don't have a ministry quote, to the poor, our church right now, ongoing regular ministry to the poor. But actually, I don't think it, that, and I'm, I only, I'll be very careful on this. It doesn't really exist in the Bible either. What exists in the Bible is people obeying Jesus who care for the poor. So Jesus said, welcome. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. When I was in prison, you visited me. When I was uh, naked, you clothed me, etc. That's just two disciples. And as disciples begin to care around that, build things. So we, get, we can get behind Haiti because Joe had a vision. He was doing that whether we were involved or not. Why? Because it's just being obedient to Jesus. Care for the poor. So please don't hear say we shouldn't have a ministry to the poor. That's not what I'm saying, all right? But it starts with each one of us. So what we say is, wow, look, our church has a ministry to the poor, and it's only three people who do it. No, we each have a heart, and some of you will serve, and some of you will give, and some of you will pray, and some, all sorts of things that go around that, but we each have a responsibility for the poor. Why? Because Jesus told us to. Sorry, I'm getting very loud. We'll stop there. Transformation and formation takes a lifetime. It's not going to all happen tomorrow. It's over our lifetime. We're going to fall up and down, go to the left, to the right, come back in line. That's why we need one another. But if we're going to be the church, the church that Jesus actually birthed, that Jesus talks about, then we have to, we always have to rethink what we're doing. So we make sure we're sticking with the plot. All right? Does that make sense? All of us? Anyone feeling condemned? I hope not. That's not the but I think we need to just recalibrate, reroute. There's a cartoon of Moses leading the people of Israel in the wilderness. 
and they're just walking through the desert of dunes like this. And someone keeps saying, rewriting, rewriting, shut up. Father, wow, you called us to a great adventure. You called us to an incredible life. It's not easy. Not easy at all. But you said you'd give us the Holy Spirit to help us. And you'd give us brothers and sisters around us to help us. And you'd give us a hope for the future to help us. And you'd put new life in us to help us. Just glorious. Would you help us to be your church? Live like your church. Pray like your church. Saturate ourselves in your teaching as the church. Enjoy being with one another in fellowship and caring for one another as the church. And then trusting that you will do amazing things with that. Just worship you, Jesus.